The subject matter contained in this presentation is based on biblical principles and designed to give you accurate and authoritative information with regard to the subject matter covered. It is provided with the understanding that neither the presenter nor the broadcaster is engaged to render legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Since your situation is fact-dependent, you may wish to additionally seek the services of an appropriately licensed legal, accounting, real estate, or investment professional. No one can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you shall eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds in the sky. They do not sow or reap. They gather nothing into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are not you more important than they? Can any of you by worrying add a single moment to your lifespan? Why are you anxious about clothes? Learn from the way the wildflowers grow. They do not work or spin, but I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was clothed like one of them. If God so clothes the grass of the field, which grows today and is thrown into the oven tomorrow, will he not much more provide for you, O oh, you of little faith? So do not worry and say, What are we to eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what are we to wear? All these things the pagans seek. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be given you besides. Do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Sufficient for a day is its own evil. This is Radio Wave Medjinomics with your host, a friend of Medjugorje. Uh, because so much is happening in the economy and in the world today, uh, this show is going to be a one-hour special. And so uh, for those of you listening to this, this is a show that you're going to want to listen to uh, several times and pass this on to uh, all of your family and friends. So now your host, a friend of Medjugorje. Seems like every week we decide maybe we should do an extra show for that week for something that has come up in the world economically are the situations as we see society and the culture deteriorating. <clears throat> it seems that we never get around to it. I'm so busy, and Frank's busy, and we're so busy here at Caritas, we don't get to do that. So today we decided to go up to an hour. If we run out of things to say, we'll cut it short at that point. I don't think we will. But we're at a point right now we need to think of our culture and the world and look at things and what's coming. What if we ask ourselves, what happens in an immoral age? Are we ourselves part of that? Will we suffer from it? We live in an age in which power has become divorced from right. Therefore, that power, that authority that will be transferred, that's been divorced from right, it'll be transferred to what is right. 
Of course, that being the present culture means it's going to fall. That fall results in a divorce from Rome. And as God would have it, a reuniting back to right. So we're going to see a marriage of power and authority back with right. That's why our ladies told us, to use this time of grace that it might go well for us. We're in this point that we need to be making decisions. This is decision-making time. I just told you on our last show that prophetic word or things of a prophetic nature is only to give man the ability not to foretell the future, but to know which course he needs to take in the present. It's with that question that laws in place are in reality are unlawful. Only what is right can be given the force of law. Are the law is divorced from right today? It's not within the natural realm. Nature and reason, nature and reason is the true source of law. I wrote about this in the court not where you're sleeping. I covered this thoroughly. You can't sit down with the politician today and them explain law. I've talked to attorneys and they say things. I say, no, that's not right. They say, it's law. No, it's not. Just because you can make law doesn't mean it's lawful. Nature's law is when we unite ourselves with right. Laws against nature and nature's God divorces itself from what's right. I lay through our messages, plans to reunite us to right. That's the purpose of our messages. With power united right, the culture invested with goodness, we'll be in accord with the lady's message, be my apostles of goodness. The culture is on the verge of breakup. It'll result in a scaled-down microculture. Little villages, perhaps. Not mega. Small churches, not mega ones. But you'll see once again a flourishing when that opposite occurs of what now is united to, to bad and to wrong. God is good, and as apostles of goodness, we'll experience that goodness. We need to grasp today the significance of what's coming, what's there, people are scratching their heads. I hear some on religious broadcasting, some of the radio shows I listen to, some, some of the most amazing things. They still don't get it. They've got the scriptures they're reading. Both in the Protestant churches, both in the Catholic church. Both people just talking on secular nature. I was listening yesterday to a religious broadcast while I was out. Uh, hosted by a Christian attorney who is talking about the situation in Pennsylvania where the city council or the, or the county board said a prayer and they used Jesus Christ's name, the ACLU coming soon. So they had the ACLU, ACLU lawyer on the show with the Christian attorney and the woman host, who's an attorney, Christian, and they're both advocating that, you know, we all have a right. We have a right to give these prayers in the city council meeting. And we have a right to do that. And so does Wiccans, who are witches, 
the right to pray. That's not natural law. That's not natural the way God. That's not within nature's law. But see that they've bought the lie that if they go along with a constitutional right, they believe falsely that it afforded a Wiccan or atheist to impose his moment of silence upon us as Christians, that they have the right to do that. God is God. Because they don't believe he doesn't exist doesn't mean he doesn't exist. He's there. We've got to wake up. We've got to look at what Judas Maccabees did when he purified Israel. We've got to stand up. And you know what this, this city council did? And again, I was saying city council could be a county board. I'm not sure which one. I don't know the details. They ended up saying five prayers. And you know what the ACLU lawyer said yesterday on the radio? That this was hateful. This was done in spite. This was done because we're sitting here, we can cram this down your throat. This is Christian triumphalism. And the defense from the Christian attorneys and the Christian hosts well, everybody's got a right to do that. If you're an atheist, you should have your right. I don't buy that. They had a right to say their five prayers. The others didn't. It's unlawful for them to impose that into the culture. You've got a free right. You've got a free will right. That's a different matter. God gave a free will. You can be an atheist. That doesn't give you the right to impose your ways into the culture and make it dominant. No more than somebody who's vile and teaching vulgarities to put it into the mainstream of the culture. Wrong is wrong. You say, well, he's wanting to advocate atheism rather than something of all nature. Well, what about adultery? What if we do we do we accept it in culture that we should be teaching this in school as a viable option? That we can be that way? That this is okay? Why don't we do that? And do you tell me adultery is, is not it what's different from that and somebody saying they don't believe in God? Actually it's worse. Somebody may fell through a weakness on adultery. But to deny God's existence doesn't mean he doesn't exist. Why do we placate that? Why are Christians not standing up? Glory be to God that they did this prayer five times. I admire that because I want Christian triumphalism. Because if we don't, somebody's going to triumph. And right now we're placating them under this guise. Well, yeah, we got to be passive. You're crazy. You've lost it. You fail to understand compassion and love of neighbor. At least that's message. To love all people. You're not loving people by giving way to their ways of wickedness. Just in Ecuador, they pronounced, I was in Ecuador, as I mentioned last week, and there's a whole mindset against the Christians that came and made Christians of the savages. You can't even say that down there now, or even here probably now, because we impose things on them. Wasn't it a man named Jesus Christ? who was God, who says, go and witness to the ends of the earth. Spread the news. What has happened to us? We've let things move into neutrality. Well, okay, if we can't do it, you can't do it. We're okay with that. That gives, that's exactly the goal of the devil. He always wants neutrality. He doesn't come on and says, we want to be able to say this is atheist. He moves us into a neutral culture that we got to be sensitive to everybody else. And then he takes over. Where there's a vacuum, because neutrality is a vacuum. And the devil will fill that vacuum. His tactics are to take Christianity and make it mute 
and from there fill the void. We better be experiencing Christian triumphalism. Not out of ego or pride or we're going to conquer. But we don't have to apologize to pray five times at our governmental body. It's God who gives us that. And as we were talking last night, it's not the constitutional right. We got inalienable rights. We got inalienable rights to worship God. And it's not to be surpassed by somebody who wants to take that inalienable right that comes from God away from us through the Constitution. And our forefathers never intended it to be. Not the forefathers of Christian Europe or any other place like this. To be granted by man. It comes from God. Give it to man what is man, give it to God what is God. We owe him our prayers at every function, every meeting. And people think God are finally starting to stand up. John was just telling me yesterday about at some football game that the announcer announced, okay, now we have a moment of silence and immediately you hear on the mic, somebody starts our father, the whole stadium starts saying our father. Do that. Don't accept this garbage. Just start saying five our fathers. Why is it important? Why am I talking about this? This should be on the second of the month. That's true. But these are the reasons we're suffering economically. These are the reasons we're going down the tubes. These are the reasons everything's going to fall. It's a moral thing. What happens in an immoral age? Things become divorced from right. When things are divorced from right, what happens? Everything goes sour. And throughout the culture... What do people fall from? Or throughout civilization, rather. What does the culture fall from? It's always tied to economics. We're not blessed. It's God who gave those economics. It says, if you follow my commandments, your grain bins will be full and overflowing. You'll have to empty them out. They'll rot even before you can use it all. That's how much a blessing God gives. And so we've lost all these principles. We've gone away. We're placating and bowing down to the right a so-called false right, unnatural right, that an atheist has the right to impose his ways in the culture when we're not even a Christian, uh, we're not even a, a, a godless nation. We're a Christian nation. Our roots are in that. You say, well, we're not now. It's true. That's why we're experiencing so many problems. We've forsaken our Christian roots. Just like Europe has denounced our Christian roots in the European Union. They literally denounced it. There's consequences to that. You don't want God, where does he go? He withdraws. When God withdraws, what happens? Romans 18, 32. Man is turned over to himself. And now we see men scrambling. We see the Federal Reserve doing this. They're doing that. We see the European Union. And everybody in the stock markets, go, they get happy. You're lying good enough so things fall. We'll go down four or five, six hundred points, whatever. They come up with a good lie because they all know it's a lie. And they all would go up 180 points a couple of days ago, whenever that was. Because that was a good lie. They all know it's a lie. And you don't. What's coming? How much more evidence do you need? How much more do you need to see? It's incredible that people still will not act. They're going to wait. And oh, when Frank comes on a little later, I want to talk about one story he told me this week about Somebody telling me he knows things are going to crash. He's just going to deal with it then. How do you deal with it? Look at 1929. This was a piece of cake, people. 1929 was nothing. Joan? It's 
comes from uh, Larry Burkett, who wrote a book in 1992 and ended up being the book of the year, The Coming Economic Earthquake, in which he predicted a lot of this. What year is this? 1992. 92. Why did he see that? Why did he write about it? Same reason I saw it in 92. Some, t- some reason I saw it in 88, before Marie was here. I saw it as a teenager. I remember hearing the old men talk around the trees. Not the old men, they were our fathers. Our neighborhood get together, and they talked about things are going to go bad because they saw us transitioning in the 60s from right to wrong. And when wrong gets power, then it's divorced from good. That's got to lead to bad. Now the tree's fruiting. We're seeing that. Perhaps no, <clears throat> sorry. Perhaps no force on earth creates more fear in the hearts of those who have experienced it than an earthquake. Those who have felt the very ground beneath their feet rolling and pitching will never forget the experience. It is the feeling of total and utter helplessness. The forces moving the seemingly unmovable platform upon which we all live are beyond the wildest imagination of anything Hollywood can portray on the screen. They are the same forces that ripped the continents apart and set them adrift in the molten magma beneath a thin crust of earth. I can recall descending into the steam caves of San Bernardino, California, and smelling the sulfur rising from the San Andreas Fault. The heat seemed almost unbearable and was greatly amplified in my mind, knowing that this crack in the earth's surface could erupt violently at any time. The feeling I had was one of personal inconsequence, I was but an ant in comparison to the energy boiling up from the molten earth. I could hardly wait to ascend out of that closed-in space, and yet I returned many times later just to experience the enormity of God's creation. I have never experienced a major earthquake personally, although I have felt many minor quakes while visiting California. The few people I know who have felt the force of major quakes all express the same emotion— Utter and complete terror, a feeling of being out of control. I have not lived through an economic earthquake personally, but I have talked to several people who have, and I have read extensively about some of the better-known economic earthquakes of the past. Without exception, those who lived through them expressed the same emotions as those who lived through geologic earthquakes, fear and helplessness. It is important to remember that earthquakes don't just happen. There are specific geological forces working that result in an eruption on the surface. Modern science knows very little about how to predict accurately when an earthquake will occur. But in one study I read describing earthquakes, a couple of scientists presented some convincing evidence that animals can be used as early warning detectors. For instance, ants seem to sense the faint rumblings of an earthquake even before the most sensitive seismology equipment can. Ant colonies begin migrating away from the areas of eruption long before there is even a hint of geological activity. Of course, since many ant colonies are in constant migration, it is easy to overlook the obvious sometimes. Only by studying stable colonies have scientists begun to accept this theory as a possible indicator. The same can be said of economic indicators. After all, taxes are always in a state of flux, And our currency has been changed at least twice in this century. 
So why worry about these indicators? It is both the intensity and the combination of many factors converging that represent the best early warning indicators. If I lived in an earthquake area, I wouldn't be particularly concerned about a migrating colony of ants. But if I woke up one morning and noticed the majority of ants packing up to move, it would get my attention. I think I would question whether they knew something I didn't. From that point on, I would be on the alert for other indicators. The same group of scientists who noted the movement of ants prior to major eruptions also noted that many species of birds vacate the area just prior to the actual earthquake. The birds either don't have the early warning sensitivity of the ants or they know they can escape faster. But once the time draws near, apparently they can feel the low-frequency rumblings preceding the actual eruption. The general rule in predicting earthquakes is the earlier, the better. But the absolute rule is any warning is better than none at all. Applying this logic to our coming economic earthquake, I believe the earlier we can spot it coming, the better it will be for all of us, especially those who will do something in advance. But even those who choose to ignore all the early warning indicators will be attentive when the loud rumblings start. I might not be concerned if a few ants left the area, but if I woke up and f- to find all the animals gone, that would get my attention. There are some people, however, who would say, good, the noisy environments are gone, and then roll over and go back to sleep. Those charged with the management of our economy will likely say, that's ridiculous. There are no real problems with our economy. Roll over and go back to sleep. If you do, I believe your sleep will be rudely interrupted. As with a geological earthquake, there is little you can do once the earth begins to move, except flee your house for an open field somewhere close by. But even standing in an open field during a major quake is better than staying inside. Perhaps all you can do once the economy begins to crumble is save what you can of your assets by paying them off, like your house or car or the like. At least you'll be doing something. Based on the study of other economic collapses, I believe there will be a series of crises prior to either a depression or hyperinflation. It is also my firm conviction that our economy will suffer a shattering depression during which the government will attempt to stimulate the economy by inflating the currency. This will then initiate a period of hyperinflation. In order to understand how and why this can happen, we must project ourselves into the future and decide what we would do under the conditions that will be facing the President and Congress at that time. Remember, these are not supermen, nor are they clairvoyant. They are men and women who make decisions based on the facts at hand and the political climate at the time. What Americans in the 30s expected of their government was far less than what is expected today. Ten years of depression left a lot of people disillusioned in the 30s. Today, it will leave burned-out hulks of cities throughout America. We're whipping our horse, the economy, to avoid the Indians chasing us, the debt. We realize if we keep inflating the economy at this pace, it will collapse. But we also know that if the economy stops for any period of time, the debt will overwhelm us. So what can we do? Keep whipping our horse and hoping for a miracle. When you see cracks appearing in the earth, in an earthquake zone, the actual eruption is near. When you see cracks in the economy, you'll know that financial eruption is near also. Did you get that? Did you hear what was said?
Did you contemplate the whole time this was read? This is 1993. This is 18 years ago. And Burkett writes that if you say something back then in 93, you'd say, oh, there's nothing wrong. Just go back to sleep. And there is people talking about it. Everybody's talking about it today. So it's easy to see. And yet still people want to sleep. They want to go back to sleep. People people who are depressed sleep a lot. They want to go and stick their head in the ground like an ostrich. That won't make depression go away. It's not going to make it better. It's going to be more worse if you don't make your decisions now. Everything he said is prophetic. But it wasn't for, look at me, a prophet. It was to say, make decisions now. If we know now what's going on, we can know what to do and prepare ourselves for the future. God wants to do do that. This is not prosperity doctrine. This is common sense. Jesus is a light of common sense, Our Lady said. What do you think she said that for? Because we have a void of common sense. It's just logical that when you see the storm coming, you got your car windows down, and it's the dark clouds, and you see lightning, it's rolling towards you. Are you going to say, I don't think I'll go out there and roll up my windows. I'm just going to take a chance water won't get in the car. Would you say that's stupid? Can't say it's ignorant. Ignorance when you don't know any better. You can't say it's foolish. Because fools things do things sometimes that, that doesn't make sense. This is outright stupid. If you're not paying attention, I, I, I take that back. You can't not even not even pay attention and ignore this. It's just there. You hear the thunder in the house. You know your window's down. You've got to go roll them up to protect the car. What you have, you can protect. Not for secular reasons. Not to be motivated for greed. Because God's so genius, he'll take it away some way or another in other forms. But here it is in 1993, he was thinking this way. My mindset was already there before, way before that. I knew the thing I had to do is buy my land in the 70s and get it paid for as quick as possible. And I knew in high school to think this way. I had a mentality that I wanted to get away from the dollar as quickly as possible. By the year 2000, that was 40 years preceding that. I was just a kid. But we was raised in a practical, common sense manner. We've lost that. You say, whoa, that took 45, what, almost 50, 50 years. That's going back to when I was eight years. I'm 58. To me, it was just common. Why do you want to depend on the dollar? Why do you want to go to the bank? Why do you want to hold them that? There's no logic to that. There's no common sense to these things. And so here it is. You can come to Caritas and you can pick up Saving the Family Kit. We've talked a lot about that. You know, 22 items, books and things that would cost you probably even 100 we say $120, $130, probably a $200 at Barnes & Noble or someplace else. And we give it to you for $18. Why? Because the same principles I had in business, the same principles I had when I worked for somebody, get it paid for whatever I got. And if God don't give me the money, I don't buy it. Stay out of debt and try to build a life, a way of life that doesn't depend on when I have a need that I have to got to have dollars to have that need met. 
I've said it before, but our kids can go cut down a tree within two hours and have it sit in the kitchen for a spoon or ladle. We've taught them those things. It's pretty impressive to see children doing that. But see, they're raised with a lot of common sense. They can think. They don't need to know. An adult standing over them, how do you do this? Throw away the cell phone. Throw away the TV. If you have to throw away the couch so there won't be a couch potato, throw it away. And kids have energy. They do something with it. They become creative. They learn things. What they do in the task teaches them. We've talked about for years about apprenticeship. Now we're ever we're hearing people saying, telling us that other people are finally talking about apprenticeship. That's the goal, not the university. It's apprenticeship. So am I just preaching and scolding you and telling I'm trying to get you to wake up. Frank, why don't you tell the story of the phone call you got this week? Well, somebody somebody locally had called me by accident, and uh, I saw their number. I didn't really know who it was because I hadn't spoken to him in a long time, but it was a financial guy that has a business near uh, one of my businesses. And uh, he said, well, and he's, a, he's a devoted Christian. And uh, he said, well, I called you by accident, and I happen to know that this individual has a very large bond portfolio. And I said, I don't think it was the accident. I think it was the Holy Spirit because... Um, I've been talking to him about silver since silver was $5. And I know the price right now is, uh, there was a paper sell-off um, last week, and this week it's, um, you know, uh, finishing those things where the big, you know, bullion banks had short silver. And there is some news that's, that's very quiet out there about the CFTC. Um, there's a couple of dates, November 21st of this year, and then January 20th of last year, where these manipulative positions, the way that I'm reading it, have to be dealt with. So there's something more to this sell-off than the normal, you know, save the dollar, um, you know, by uh, curtailing inflation. You um, can use paper to make the prices not rise of important things, and the most important thing to not panic the dollar is... uh, you know, keep silver at bay, make it look like a very risky, horrible investment. So not too many people, you know, are getting into it. So then the physical supply, you know, threatens our, our, our goals. And, and I think that soon it's going to, it's inevitable, tremendous wholesale silver. And and we're at a price that wholesalers love. We're below where wholesalers have been buying this. So anyways, he, he calls me. And, uh, and I tell them, you know, this is, this is an opportunity, you know, please, for the sake of your family, I mean, take a hundred thousand out and, um, you know, uh, put it into silver here because, um, you have an asset that's denominated in paper, uh, redeemable by nothing. And so if you see what happened when we had an asset in, in 1929, you say it's going to be a lot worse. Of course, logically, it will be a lot worse. In 1929, we had an asset uh, denominated in dollars backed by gold. And uh, the stock market lost 90% of its value. Um, They confiscated gold because they defaulted on their debt and reissued it. They confiscated it at $20, reissued it at $35. So immediately, your dollar was devalued 40%. What do you think is going to happen this time? With no tangible backing, no accountability, tremendous government fiscal government's fiscal irresponsibility, and you know, 
we're headed for a great devaluation. And uh, this panic always ensues, where it's a stampede mentality, where the bulls start running and the rest of the the herd follows them because they're scared. They don't know why they're scared. Just everybody in front of them is running, so they start running too. And this history keeps repeating itself. And once that stampede gets going, you don't have an opportunity to do anything then. So, you know, when, you, when you're seeing this, this is the time that you have to be proactive and say, you know, my uh, paper assets are denominated in a dollar, redeemable by nothing. So it says I'll get $100 worth of goods and services for a $100 bill, but that's only based on the faith of the people. It has no other, no other backing. And so if the people lose faith, then what's that $100 bill worth? Will it buy a loaf of bread? We don't know that. We don't know how far it can fall or how quickly it can fall. So what did this guy say when you told him to do this? Take $100,000 out, put it put it in silver. What was his response? Well, I pleaded with him with every argument that I, that I could make. Um, and he said that, you know, um, well, I'm not, the, I'm not a doom and gloom guy um, because I also mentioned, you know, uh, you want to have some stored food. And, and, and I said, this isn't doom and gloom. And I, of course, mentioned your book. I said, uh... A friend of Medjugorje has written and spoken prophetically for 25 years. This is more like Noah in the flood. This is not, I'm not telling you something on a secular level, because he's telling me about what this guy's saying on this news channel, and this guy's saying, and, and this professional, and that professional. And I said, that's not the type of thing. I'm not giving you investment advice. I'm, I'm telling you to prepare for a new way, a new time and that God is, is speaking to his people. The book of Amos says that God never does anything without first warning his people. That's what this is about. And, uh, I, you know, I thought I would appeal to him as, as a, a, you know, God-fearing, Bible-loving Christian, um, that, that God does do these things. But, um, you know, to the point of the conversation, he, he could not hear me. And this is the case, and has been the case, um, and he, and he told you what? He would just go down? Well, he said that, yeah, he goes, well, I guess I'm just going to, um, you know, I'm just going to have to, you know, I'll be there when it goes down because I just, you know, I can't see that happening. And, you know, his dad was in the investment business, and he tells me what worked in the past. And, and some people say the Dow is, is going up, and, you know. And nobody I, can I see what's happening. If, if your God is dollar, if, that's, if your God is a dollar, you won't see it. And that's, that's what I was trying to get us reunited to right. Because we're divorced from, from right, united with wrong, everybody's making the wrong decisions. But it's just a one plus one equals two. It's, it's really simple. And it doesn't even take a lot of prayer, a lot of wisdom to see it. It just takes common sense. Jesus is the light of common sense. Okay, the way she said it, if you want to quote exactly, my son is the light of salvation and common sense. Okay, she said two things there. So if you want to say he's the light of salvation, okay, that's fine. If you want to say he's the light of salvation and common sense, you can say that. Or you can say Jesus is the light of common sense. You know where you learn that? He's a carpenter. Jesus, as a little boy, had to hit something with a mallet. And you know what he did? He probably smashed his thumb a couple of times. And that mallet was a teacher. 
it told him that that thing will hit my finger if I don't move it. Yeah, he was God. But he's a light of common sense that he wants you to see if you don't get out of the way of a running car, if you don't get out of the earthquake when you hear fissures or, or tremors, you're going to get burned. You're going to get hit. And so why stand there in front of the bus? Uh, this is the thing that befuddles me about all this, especially Medjugorje people. You have another story that really, really gets me much more than this. He was just telling me on the phone before the studio, before the, uh, we came in the studio about a woman who bought silvers. Tell us this story. Well, the other thing that I was telling you about is, is I, I always have to uh, applaud your listeners because um, very few people uh, call me, and, and, and I don't mind if they do because I understand if you you know, put a retirement in, in something that... You mean, re- wait, wait, clarify that. Very few people call you. Who, who well, very see, few? In, other words, in other words, silver has dropped uh, 25% again for no fundamental reason. It's paper selling, and most of your listeners understand this. Actually, most of your listeners, there's more comments. This is great. This gives me an opportunity to evangelize the book. My friends still haven't got in. Um, you know, people in my family still haven't got in. They think it's great, and it is great. Fundamentally, it's the best thing that could have happened to your investment. You're, call, um, you're saying that very few people call you complaining because well, silver's yeah, dropped. Worried, worried. Really, no one compla- is really complaining. Um, uh, very few people call me worried, and and I totally understand if you do or if you ever want to know why something's happening. We're here for that, and, and and we don't mind that at all. We understand that, but this case was a little different because. I spend a lot of time on the phone, as I do with everybody that that uh, needs me and wants to know about these things, and it's something that's that I take very seriously. It's the fruits of your life's labor, and and so they wrote me this this note that you know um, you know I got in before the fall, and which I'm not concerned about. You did the right thing. You you had you know an asset denominated in paper backed by nothing, and it was very dangerous and very risky. You have to do this. I I can't give you other advice. To wait, um, you you must be proactive because we don't know when the dollar is going to devalue. I'll tell you, big money is selling the dollar and buying gold and silver here, and they have been for a couple of weeks. You look at the commitment of traders report and and see these things, and so the dollar it has been strengthening, but um, the fundamentals are horrible, and gold and silver have been going down, but the fundamentals could not possibly be better. And this is what I tell people: your investment so is woman- more more valuable in, because it's going into stronger hands. But she writes me and says, you know, I ordered two weeks ago, or, you know, and, you know, come on, help me out. I'm not hearing anything on the show. Um, you know, I'm really concerned about this, and so on. So I go to look for her order to get more information, what size of an order. You know, I like to know um, as much information as I can to help as much as I can. And the first sentence I wrote is, I don't see an order. And the fact that she's never written back, I assume that she got secular silver. And this is why she's worrying. Um, you know, she did it for the wrong reason. Uh, and, you know, did the wrong thing. I assume she read the book. She says she's listened to the program. But um, she got silver from a from a secular source. I'm sure she paid more than she would have from us. And, um, from, and global, now, from global silver. Sure. From Global Silver, you? Yeah, I don't see an order from from this person that wrote us, and so, um, so it's just you know. It, well, it, let, let me say that this show is not for people that want to go out and buy silver, or want to go out and buy gold, 
or want to do investments this way is for two things. It's first for your investment into uh, a way of life. And I'll go into more about that in a moment. And it's an investment of seeking first God's kingdom with the means and the dollars or whatever God's given to you to exchange it into the miraculous metal measure around, which will ha- now has been struck into one ounce rounds at uh, about 1.5 million one ounce pieces out there, which is a very amazing thing, much bigger than what we ever thought it would be. Those will distribute. People will be carrying this miraculous metal. We don't, we're not interested in you listening to us if you're going to take this information and go buy a Silver Eagle or go buy a, a one ounce of Buffalo Head Nickel that they strike. Because that's something secular. The purpose and the intent in building this project was to spiritually give you something transitional until you can get to an agrarian way of life or buy you some land or, or get to where you can feed yourself because that's better than silver. And second, by doing so, you can make the decision immediately to get the silver piece which is a religious round, which purpose is to get it distributed once you dispense it for land to the second, third person, fifth, and tenth all the way down, that they be carrying the miraculous metal, which would bring their conversion. So it's a spiritual, purely spiritual thing in that sense, and are at the same time meeting your needs that you have and what you've got invested and transforming something that we believe very strong and very indi- very clear indicators is basically the only place to be in the future. Aside from land, aside from being able to feed yourself, aside from putting a roof over your head and being out of debt. That said, I'm really not interested in this lady. I'm interested in her spiritual well-being, but as far as the physical project, you're seeking your kingdom. You're not doing what Matthew 6 says. Seek first God's kingdom. So till you take your money, take your 100000 whatever it is, put it in miraculous metal measure go rounds for the purpose that you know that's going to be future distributed, even if you keep it for the next 10 years. It's going to end up somewhere. You're not going to throw it away. Hey, I don't need this no more. I cash it out and they get it and say, well, I don't want these things. I'm just throwing them away. They'll be here 50 years from now. People will be converting when you're in heaven because they got this metal. And so you've got an, a, an incredible opportunity in this age to do a dual-purpose thing, to get something transitional, or if you've got a lot of excess wealth, to hold it in that and dispense it as you need of whatever you, whoever you might have to help in the future, and hold this in a period of time to you can condition and make your conditions and your decisions you need to make for your future, just like this guy was in 93, just like I was taught in the 60s. And so... Uh, She's made a very, very terrible mistake. I'd be scared to death to have uh, $200,000 or whatever, X dollars, in silver with the secular buffalo on it or something. I just put, just put a, a pagan on it, put an idol on it, because that's hoarding. I mean, you're, you're not doing it for a religious purpose. And so this is very, very dangerous, and she's the one that's worried, right? Because she's not at peace with it. Just like the lady told us a year ago, so that you know she's got forty thousand dollars in these miraculous miracles rounds, and even if somebody comes and steals them out of our house, she's at peace because they're gonna get converted or somebody will through them, you know. So you know you even got consolation if you do lose it. That said, we we are not here to make you wealthy. We're not here that you make a big gain, and there'll be big gains on this in the future. This is two markets going on right now. One is a paper market. One's a physical market. The physical people that hold the silver in the hands are not concerned that it dropped down to $26, which is pretty amazing. 
But it's because so much paper is out there that's not real. It's been sold. Now, that paper, somewhere's got a default. With 550 million ounces a day being sold and only 1 million physical ounces available per day, somewhere that defaults. Now, what you need to know out there is where, when that crashes in that paper, where will that money come from? Okay, that is not there. So somebody's got all this paper and they want their physical silver and it says not available. And there's a loss in there. That's coming from public managed money or maybe not public, private managed money. Who manages money? Okay, let's take a couple of few million people in one company or one institution that manages 401ks for other companies. That's managed money. They're taking your 401k and they say, we think this is a good investment over here. And so when that is default, when you hear about people lost $50,000, that's managed money. You're going to lose it. You're going to pay for the default. The guys making the money aren't. That's why we say get your 401k out. Better to take a third of it. At least you got it. Because somewhere along the line, all these things are going to crumble. And when it crumbles, you're going to have nothing. So, what you, you know, they all say spread your investment. That's spreading your investment. Take it out of there. Spread it into America's Managed Grow Rounds. That's the place to be. You was about to make a comment about this, Frank? Yeah, well, I'm not surprised by the $1.5 million. Um, I, I, I'm reading the writings. You're writing them, so maybe that's what, so why it surprised you. It doesn't surprise me because I've, I've read all the writings, and, and I think this is, this is a glorious, glorious plan. Silver has been uh, successful money for longer than anything. Fiat money has a 100% failure rate. Uh, so when it fails, you have to go to an, to a, another system, a tangible system. And if you go back into history, this has been the most successful monetary system. Um, this is what God created it for. So does it surprise me when he says he wants to establish devotion to the Immaculate Heart of Mary that he would have his queen mother on currency? It doesn't surprise me a bit. And um, this opportunity... Every single round that you have struck could have many souls per round because they pass from one hand to another. That's what they're made for. That's why they have the antibacterial principle to them, so they can go from hand to hand. You could have many souls coming up to you and saying, I wouldn't have been here if it weren't for you having that round struck because the body of Christ was praying for me. And this group gets bigger and bigger that's following Our Lady's message to pray for the salvation of those carrying the miraculous medal. And... And you know, the, the, uh, the, the comment that Frank made about the uh, antibacterial, in order to get the full understanding of that, uh, you need to read the book, it ain't going to happen, and that part is covered in there. But occasionally we do get, uh, we do, we get a lot of questions uh, about uh, the book, it ain't going to happen, people wanting things clarified, and we try as best as we can to cover those questions. Uh, but we do have a few here that we'd like to try to cover uh, very quickly. Um, uh, this is from uh, a listener in uh, Michigan who says, uh, a friend of Medjugorje, thank you for all of your efforts to live and spread the messages of Medjugorje. I have been to Caritas, Medjugorje, and read your books. I truly value your insights gained through prayer and hard work. Today I reread uh, your chapter 14 from It Ain't Gonna Happen regarding the virtue of delayed gratification. Specifically, I'm trying to understand uh, usury and evils of collecting any interest on loans. I saw the excerpts in Ezekiel in chapter 23 about the evil of exacting interest and usury. You make some excellent arguments, but it kept bothering me that it doesn't tie with one quote 
from Jesus' parable in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, verse 23, where Jesus says, Why then did you not put my money out on loan so that on my return I could get it back with interest? Uh, please reply with your understanding of this quote in relation to all else on the subject. Thank you. Well, you have to look at what Jesus was saying that for. He was given a parable, not a moral teaching. The moral teaching is, is the grace that we receive from God, we're to invest. Like a lady just said on the last 25th message, that she wants us to go out and talk about our witness with words. A big milestone, a huge message. And our witness of our life. And so the, the purpose of that story was not justification of usury, or is usury really not bad in some instances? It shows how crafty the world they are. Actually, Jesus had said, the be, you know, be not of this world, but be you're in the world, but be not of the world. But he also says to imitate the worldly in not their evils, but in using their tactics for the economy of salvation. And that's what we do at Caritas, by the way. We come up with a lot of projects through the years. A priest from England, Father Foley, is dead now, came up, visited here several times. He was here when Maria was here. He says, where do you come up with all these ideas? And our whole thing is to take the message, PR them out through projects, introduce people in new ways, things that's never been even seen in the church. People think it's a, a strange when they see a billboard, but then they introduce our lady, they come here and see conversion, and they thank God that we put that up. And so this story is a, is a parable Jesus is given and talking about the one who buried it in the ground with silver, the other who invested it a hundred and got a hundredfold, the other I think it was fiftyfold. And so you have to understand he's not justifying uh, a moral thing, just like he says he's going to come about a second coming. Look how Jesus says this. He says, I'm going to come as a thief in the night. Does that mean Jesus is a thief? He never sinned. He's getting something because we of the world can really relate to, to, oh yeah, I remember last night that came, that thief came in my house, I was in the bed, never heard him, and he stole this from me. Came in, Jesus is going to come that way. Doesn't mean he's promoting thievery. Doesn't mean he's promoting something of any immorality at all. He's not promoting usury by this. He's showing how crafty he wants you to be in this witness of salvation and your own use of graces to invest those graces, invest the fasting and make it go further and denounce addictions or use fasting and prayer to cure somebody else of a spiritual disease and the culture itself too. So in no shape, form, or fashion is God, is Jesus comparing that or endorsing the usury there. He's just showing how the crafty do it and that's what he's actually said in scriptures verbally. To do, do, do the, use my grace, and I'm paraphrasing, use my grace in the same way. It's an investment, and I expect a return on it. And the, uh, another question that we have from a listener in Oklahoma uh, says, I have great respect for your messages. I have a question about your last show regarding silver. Wasn't Jesus sold for 30 pieces of silver? Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but it is wise to invest in a metal that was, or is it wise to invest in a metal that was used to betray our Lord? Please do not take this as a criticism, merely a question. You do wonderful work. Keep it up, and I will be listening. 
Well, silver chalices, or rather chalices, golden chalices are lined with silver on the inside because of antibacterial properties in a lot of ways, and, and also they adorn the altars. Uh, silver is not bad. There's nothing wrong with silver. Silver doesn't have a soul in the sense of, or a spirit, rather, that uh, we can say, oh, it's got a bad spirit. Judas made it bad. Jesus, Judas didn't want to portray Jesus and sell him for 30 pieces of silver because he thought he wasn't God. He was an imposter. He didn't do what Jesus, Judas, Jesus did what Judas wanted him to do, which was to be triumphalism in a bad way. And he wanted the silver. If he was principled, he would just go there and say, this guy's bad, this is what I want to do, I'm betraying him. He agreed on a price, 30 pieces of silver. So his lust for this is the wrong, not the silver itself. You can become pharisaical because the Pharisees, when it was thrown on the floor, says, oh, we can't, this is blood money, we can't touch this. Judas, Judas was the blood. He was the bad blood. They were the bad blood. So we got to use it for something. We go, so we go by Potter's Field, which is a, a cemetery for foreigners who died on the way to Jerusalem or coming to Jerusalem to the temple. So there's nothing in silver that's bad. There's nothing in money that's bad. There's nothing in things that are bad. And yet Our Lady says these words. There are many things that are evil. Now, we have derivatives, and there's certain things made by products as man, but the plastic itself, the, the wire itself, is not evil. It's what man has done to it. When I first came to this valley, I used to pray over it, consecrate it to Our Lady, and I would say, there is nothing here not obedient to you, God. I'd be up in the mountains. Deep prayer. Look how obedient it is. Do something here, God. Bring forth your spirit. We want your presence here. I wasn't thinking of Our Lady at the time. I'm giving you these mountains. The only thing defiled here is me and any other people that reside in this valley. It's very sparsely populated. But look at this rock here. It's perfectly in your will of where you placed it, what it's done, how it erodes. Look at that obedience and not man's here. And so it's not the silver is what man's inner desires are. And they adorn altars all across the world, especially Mexico City with a lady of Guadalupe. And uh, another question from a listener in uh, Pennsylvania, and he says, uh, there are many people moving gold and silver out of the U.S. and transferring it uh, into banks in other countries like Panama, Singapore, and Australia. How do other countries fare as far as protecting individual investors uh, rather than America economically? Uh, and then how safe is it to store currency in paper form in other countries? Well, we know Chavez is dealing with the president and making headway with him of Ecuador. And you're going to, uh, Panama's right above Colombia, you're going you're gonna to want to put your money there. You're talking about instability. There's a lot of instability. I got a car down there, it's all bulletproof. I've been to Mexico City several, several times, and you've got to have a guard with you all the time. So that's not safe. We see and we're tan what's tangible to us, and we think is so um, concerned about these things that we see in the news or whatever happens or hearing stories, and we think somewhere else is better. There is no place on this earth better to be than the United States of America. It's a country that was founded on Christ principles, 
I don't say just Christian principles, Christ principles. And you have now some Latin American countries and wealthy people trying to see where to put the money. People are looking all over the world where to put the money. They don't know where to put their wealth. They're all insecure. They all know it's unstable. And that's part of the Moroccan Metal Round is to put it in your autonomy and your guardship. Australia, okay, they're the second America in some ways. They look at themselves as a Christian nation. But several years ago, they pulled all the guns from the people. It was said in the last century, we're going to have the safest country in the world. Our streets will be safe. People can walk around. This is a quote. Without any crime. All the guns will be taken up through these new going ordinances. Adolf Hitler. The first thing the tyrants do is take away the guns. A gun's not bad. It's like silver. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, the thing that makes this country what it is, is is the Second Amendment. You can say, oh, here comes the right ring stuff. Jesus never condemned the Roman soldiers. In fact, they kept a lot of order in the crucifixion. It would have broke down in a mob. He needed that there. They needed their weapons. Weapons can be good. Weapons can be bad. It's not denounced. In the Catholic Catechism, it speaks of defending yourself. And you've got the right to take another life even. The Catechism says this, people. And even if you do it wrongly because you thought something's happened, you're not guilty. In other words, if you thought somebody's about to harm you and you've come at mistake, you're not guilty of murder in that case. Am I advocating murder? No. No more than catechism is. But Australia has no guns because there's people there and the, the, the government are, have ill plans. And it's known that the people that have the weapons are avoided. And people feel the sense that they need to be guarding there. Yeah, you need to protect yourself. You need to pray that you're never in a confrontation like that. And it says, this has never been spoken in the Mexico movement because people are scared to see it because our lady's queen of peace. It was our lady whose feast day on October 7th is a feast day because of the Turks and the European powers were at war and Europe was about to fall. The Pope goes out with the rosary, gets all of, all of Rome and everybody praying in the streets because they were going to be overrun. And the commander of the ships was empowered with their weapons to win and defeat the Turks at that time. And Europe was saved. God uses this. God used the atomic bomb to save millions and millions of lives, both of the Japanese. Had we not dropped the bomb, the Japanese would have lost more people and Americans too and our allies because they were willing to fight. It was honorable to die as a Japanese soldier to the last man. When I was in Guam last year, I was right there at a place where they found a Japanese soldier in 1973 who was still hiding in the mountains. The last soldier that was still fighting. And he hid in caves. He told his story. He became famous, if you remember the story. But I say this, that the atomic bomb saved lives. Millions, and we don't know how many wars that avoided, even though the Cold War and everything was on tension. It's not the weapon itself. And weapons can be good, and weapons can be bad. And so I say this because Australia looks like a safe bet. I wouldn't put nothing down there. If somebody doesn't have the ability to protect what they have, the government's going to be able to do something there. 
And that's a big news, a big item of the United Nations now. So you've got things happening right now in Iowa. You know, the signs, the earthquake, the things that's happening. In Iowa right now, they had, uh, they have soaring prices of pork, which we're going to see that at the grocery stores. If it's happening at the wholesalers, the feeders, it's coming this way. You can already start to see it. That's the sign of the earthquake coming. But also what's coming is thievery. On the borders of Iowa and Minnesota, they're having uh, theft of hogs left and right. They can't even control it. They've never seen anything like it. About a 1,000 pigs have been stolen from at least three counties in the past weeks, says authorities. With soaring prices is a likely motive. I feel cheated and a little bit violated, says Mr. Boat, 37 years old, who started the company with his parents. We're the ones doing all the work to get these pigs ready, and then it comes the time to sell them, and they're just not here no more. A full-grown hog is selling for the highest price of their career, said Ronald Pine, a professor of agriculture economics in Missouri. Hog and cattle prices are soaring. The high price of corn, driven in part by the ethanol industry's appetite, has also made feed so expensive that many hog operations have shrunk. Law enforcement officials say they have been sporadic pig theft in the past, but nothing this big. You've got a right to use a weapon to protect what you have. If they're doing this now and people aren't going hungry, what will they be doing later? And the Catholic Church teaches a right of man's to, uh, uh, the right to a life of a man is greater than the right of your possessions. But you dispense that. You've got the moral obligation to do that. You don't have to have mob and people going through the theft of the night and just taking it from you. So we've got to realize, our says, you're coming into a new time. And the queen of peace wants peace. And you should be in peace. And we should be, be fosters of peace, but not pacifist. We've got a moral decline in such that we think it's wrong to tell university students at Virginia, if somebody comes in here with a gun, you all attack them. They said, well, and they use all these reasons. Well, you know, somebody may get hurt. <laughs> 30 people did. If they knew that and that college had been teaching uh, readiness, that there's anybody looks anything or you see somebody pull out, you all attack them. One or two, you might get killed, but not 30. We should be this way everywhere in this culture. Don't worry about this 991 stuff. You see somebody attack, you have everybody come down and you stop it. You're going to have less injuries, less things. So we've fallen into the lack of common sense. And another sign, the Italian Agricultural Organization has just given Pope Benedict eight beehives. Isn't this interesting? They'll be kept at the pontifical farm. Well, they'll be used to pollinate the production of honey. It's the summer home where the Pope has. They explained that bees play a vital role in the ecosystem and the disappearance would be disastrous consequences as one-third of human food production depends on crops pollinated by insects, and 80% of which are bees. Did you know you can start a hive right in your city? I used to have one in the 70s, right in the subdivision, in downtown. Not downtown, but right on the outskirts of town. You can do this. If you live in a bad side of town, you think, can I have it there? Yeah, you'll get bee, bee honey, or rather you'll get beer honey. I mean, the bees get inside the beer cans there. Some people like that. You can do anything you need to do anywhere. Just start thinking. You can order a beehive and put this right smack dab in the middle of the city. It's fun. 
The Italian Association will provide technical assistance for the Pontifical Farm that oversees the protection of the bees and production of honey. Pope Benedict's farm is growing considerably, uh, is growing in consideration of being, is growing in its recognition, rather, of being seen uh, as a farm that unites traditional production methods with modern technology. It has 25 dairy cows, 300 hens, 60 roosters, as well as an ancient olive grove producing trees, or rather, uh, olive oil, of a thousand liters, or maybe about a, or three thousand liters, about a thousand gallons of oil a year, along with an orchard of apricots, peach trees, and a greenhouse for ornamental flower, flowers. Is that a sign, people? The folks probably not want to panic people, but hey, get my farm started, everybody. And I'm sure that's been there for a while. But see, they stay tied to the grand way of life. He runs around the world. He rules the world and the whole church universally. But he's tied to agriculture. He's not out there hoeing it, but I bet he goes out there and looks at it. And that brings freshness to the soul. soul. That brings freshness to this table. It gives life. It teaches. It shows natural law. We stay anchored to what's right. We stay united to good. When you start doing everything secular, you divorce good. And when you divorce that, you divorce right. And so that's where we are today. Frank, yeah, so, you know, silver is not a bad thing. Silver was created by God to be money. It's been successful money for 5,000 years. This is the only period of history that I'm aware of where there weren't, you know, some if not most of the nations in the world using silver as money. So this future demand is coming. Fiat money fails, and the whole world will be back on a monetary system that includes silver, the same as God is the same today, yesterday, and always. Frank, we're out of time. We're past our hour, really, actually. But uh, to get a hold of you, what do they need to do? And you can ask Frank any other questions and go deeper into some of these things, which we suggest that. Even if you're not going to make the move, call them and, and challenge. There, there's nothing that can't be answered about this in a, in a way of right. And a lot of things can be told you in the way wrong not to act. Frank? Okay. Well the, well, the most important thing, I'll say one thing is, is this is an opportunity to evangelize the book. It's a, it's a grace that we're allowed to still, you know, that our dollar's still purchasing something. So get the book out, as a lot of you are doing, and I applaud you. A lot of people are calling and say, a friend gave me the book, so great job. Uh, if you need us, don't hesitate to call. Our number is 877-936-7686. And you can also contact us by email at globalsilverinvestors at yahoo.com. And you, our website is globalsilverinvestors.com for general information. And the phone number is 877-936-7686. And I'll end with something my wife told me about hearing about the Pope Benedict just a week or so ago. said, I think it was when he was in Germany, telling people go to an agrarian way of life. They need to get closer back to the soil. Uh, you could probably look those words up. I don't think that's exactly what he said in the context, but... Um, what he conveyed was just that. So why is that? Ask yourself that question. Well, we'll be talking to you on the second of the month, which is, I think, something be Monday show. Be this coming Monday. Sunday would be the second, I think. And we'll be talking to you then. We wish you, Our Lady, we love you. Goodbye.
The subject matter contained in this presentation is based on biblical principles and designed to give you accurate and authoritative information with regard to the subject matter covered. It is provided with the understanding that neither the presenter nor the broadcaster is engaged to render legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Since your situation is fact-dependent, you may wish to additionally seek the services of an appropriately licensed legal, accounting, real estate, or investment professional.